Welcome to Ted's Podagogy. Today my guest is Rob Webster from the UCL Institute of Education. He's the country's leading researcher into the work of teaching assistants and runs the Maximising the Impact of Teaching Assistants project. Rob, hello. Hello, John. Thanks for joining me. So TAs are consistently in the news at the moment, uh, in TES a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, I thought a nice way into the chat really would be to look at the, the history of TAs, how they've developed and why they've remained this sort of political football. Mm. So, I mean, when did they sort of come into the system and how has that role changed in that time? Okay. I suppose the first signs that there were people other than teachers working in schools would have been in the mid-70s. And in the, um, uh, the, the report that Mary Warnock produced in 1978, 40 years ago, there is um, a provision in there for what were called ancillary staff and the idea that children with in the sort of 2% with the highest level of um, SEN, the most complex level of needs, would have one of these ancillary people working with them in the school. Well, the school would have one to work with mm. these these people. And I think from from, from, from from that point you have the, the the parent volunteer model as well. So some of the people who were coming into schools were, were parents and they were helping um, with school trips and helping out in the, the library. So this is, so we, we might have had ancillary staff who were on the on the payroll maybe only one or two mm. in a school and pro pro probably not in every school either and then this kind of s this larger growing group in the 80s of the parent parent helper coming in and out voluntary work <clears throat> and the the LSA classroom assistant job comes comes really from a, a conflation of those two mm. those two roles people who are working with children with special needs the the parent helpers who are um, helping out in the classroom and across the school and increasingly um, uh, helping readers. So, so initially they're doing stuff that isn't to do with, um, uh, into, into with learning or teaching, but then uh, you know, they're starting to listen to kids read, um, taking groups out, and it just sort of grows from there really. And the, um, there was no, I don't think there was any plan here, mm. it just sort of started to happen when schools got um, uh, were, were encouraged or were allowed to start having LSAs and um, people more formally on, on the payroll as part of their workforce, the first people they looked to were the, the parent helpers. Mm. So a lot of those roles got converted into... Almost made into, official in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're, well, you're coming in. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's kind of formalise this. So, and I think it's quite... And, and, and there's quite a lot of... Um, Echoes of that, or some some very clear echoes of that in the in the system now. So you still have people who might have been working in a school for twenty five years, twenty twenty five years, and they they came in as a parent helper, and they're they're now teaching assistants, and the job has changed hugely. So it's no longer sharpening pencils and washing paint pots. It's you know working with children on teaching and learning, um, particularly the children who struggle most. So almost always kids with with SEN, and certainly. The lower retainers. Why was that? Is that is that because they were coming volunteering for that role, or is that because teachers that's where they needed most help, or you know there's been some suggestion in the past that teachers perhaps don't feel as confident in how they can help those people. Mm. So it's a it's a 
useful area to offset to someone who can dedicate mm. their all, t all their time to it. Mm. Is that just organic that's, that's grown up, that sort of role? I, I think so. I think um, originally you would have had them taking groups of children out who need help with their reading. So by definition, it's generally the kids who need yeah. a little bit more support. Um, and I think what, what happens over time is, and there are, there are probably external pressures here as well, where teachers are increasingly, you know, you have the, the national curriculum come in, then you have all the things around league tables and Ofsted and how everything kind of ramps up and schools and teachers focus is on you know, getting through the curriculum and so on. And they start to use the resources at their disposal to help them to do that. And it can in some cases become a bit of a numbers game where the class teacher is thinking I've got 30 children in this class and there is a varying array of needs and there are these children who are really really struggling um, you know, uh, it, they may have um, special needs you know, you've got a, a slightly larger group that may include those children who are just struggling and falling behind mm -hmm. um, and then I've got everybody else and, and as a teacher if I have um, if I have somebody to take those five or six children either out of the class or work with them across the day and give them that additional one-to-one uh, -one small group attention, that's got to be a good thing for them and it's a good thing for me because I can focus on the rest of the class and I can just, I can, um, I can calibrate my teaching accordingly to those, those 25. So it's seen as a bit of a, bit of a win-win. Um, but there are unintended consequences to that arrangement. And that's, um, that's where the political element comes in, your own research comes in really. I mean, the, the numbers of TAs have, have gone up substantially in the mm. last sort of 20 years, haven't mm. they? You know, it's massively increased. And in that time, you've been doing a series of research projects and the government have made several pronouncements around TAs use. Um, what you've been said in the past is that what your research has found and what the the political messaging around TAs might be sometimes differs. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose one, one of the kind of interesting features of it, um, going back probably almost to the start, really, is you would struggle to find a a a, a, a speech or a substantive bit of a speech by an education minister that deals with support staff and in particularly teaching assistants. Mm. And that goes right back, that predates this government and, and goes further back. Um, and that in, in itself is a bit of a curiosity when you consider the numbers. So the, num the numbers are worth talking about a bit because um, very often um, in the reporting of this and the, uh, the, the kind of government stats, people talk about the full-time equivalent number of teaching assistants and how that has trebled in the last, well, more than trebled in the last... Uh, what sort of 17, 18 years, and the numbers have gone up and up and up. And you know, interestingly, even um, in the times that we've had budget cuts as well, um, in primary schools certainly the numbers keep going up. You know, mm. we're not actually seeing the yet seeing the the cuts we might that may, may yet come. Who knows? Um, but the numbers themselves hide a bit of a um, a reality that there are. Um, there's somewhere in the order of about 390,000 people working in schools in England who have that teaching assistant role or similar. Um, it's, so it's a huge number of people, about 244,000 of them are in primary school settings and, wow. and, and uh, it's about 61,000 in secondary, about 44,000 in special schools. 
There's a lot of people. It is um, that's kind of just that's roughly equivalent with the population of Bristol. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of people. Twenty five percent of the workforce, a third of the primary and nursery school workforce, uh, and they're there in the system. And the the, the estimates are we spend uh, schools spend about fifth, sorry about five billion pounds a year. On employing teaching assistants, it's, it's not. An, it's, it's not a it's small it's resource. It's not <laughs> insubstantial. Uh, um, I reckon, having kind of looked at some comparative figures, that is roughly what we spend on maternity services and A and E combined. Wow. So, a lot of money, a lot, of, and a large part part of the workforce and the, and the spend. So, it's it's a bit of a, a curiosity to me why you wouldn't have you, why successive governments wouldn't have something to say about, about that constituency. Um, and if you think about that, that the, the size of that group as well, and the, the, um, the, the sort of political messaging and the positioning, um, it's, it happens every, every once in a while. Um, and I, s- I distinctly remember when our research came out um, the DIS project research, which, which says it was autumn 2009, uh, which found that the children who had the most help from TAs were doing less well than children who had little or no support. Was that your first major study yeah, entity? Yeah, so there was a, there was a team of uh, sort of six and a slightly extended group of people who spent five years on that, on that study. Mm. Um, and it was a it was, you know, it was a huge bit of work. I mean, we, we, there, there isn't anything like it that's been done before or since anywhere in the world, as far as we're concerned. And that tells you something about how far we've gone in this country with teaching assistants. That you know, you would actually need a study to to look at what they're doing and what impact it is. But those, I mean, those findings, and when they came out, they turned on its head the common sense logic that I was describing earlier on. But if you give children um, who struggling most, more adult support, that's got to be a good thing for them. And what the DIS project really, um, what it showed quite clearly in primary and secondary settings um, is that those children are being um, negatively harmed, if you like, for want of a better phrase, by the very intervention we put in place to help them keep pace with their peers. So it's not just a a non it's not non impact at all so this is just it's not that it's not making a difference it's actually having a it, negative impact. yeah so the dis project showed that it is having a negative impact compared to the children who are and actually these sorry who are not having the, the support from TAs mm. um, or very 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 little by comparison um, and these are these are actually quite non trivial effects you know we, we kind of did a rough and ready um, uh, equivalence with uh, national curriculum sub-levels, so in old money, um, just to take one example, the children in year three, the effect was something like two national curriculum sub-levels. Okay, so quite significant. So it's quite significant. Yeah. Uh, in year 10, it was the equivalent of a GCSE grade. So, and on, if you average it out, it was a, I think it was somewhere like one, um, uh, one national curriculum sub-level or something across English, Maths and Science, across seven different year groups. So it does differ, and those were some of the extremes, but it's, it's, it's remarkably consistent um, that in primary and secondary school, in the core subjects, you get this um, negative impact. And actually, you don't find any positive impact at all. So you either find a negative impact or, in a, 
in a handful of cases, there's, there's just no relationship at all so, uh, you know, in either direction. And we actually did, um, I mean, <clears throat> you might say quite unreasonably, well, you're looking at impact on learning, but teaching assistants might have impact in other areas as well. So what about pupils' motivation, their levels of confidence, their independence, and so on? So we did a, 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 an additional um, analysis as well. We collected data, teacher ratings on how they thought children had progressed um, uh, you know, on these dimensions um, over, over the course of a school year. And we didn't find anything consistent in that at all, apart from, well, there are two, two, two quirk, well, one quirk I think we can explain, another which still remains a bit of a mystery. Mm. So actually there was a positive finding across all of those things for children in year nine. Okay. And only in year nine. And we're not really, we, we never really got to the bottom of why that was. Um, and because obviously when you're kind of working with this quantitative data you're sort of you're missing part of the picture and yeah. even though there was a heavy um, qualitative element to this research there wasn't anything within that that we could really pinpoint that might that might explain that um, and we also saw um, some negative relationships between independence and support in the early years so years one and two so children sort of learned had, helplessness. Yeah, so children who were having a lot of support became were were less. Teachers viewed them as as their independence, having gone backwards over the course of the year. And this is this is something that's picked up in the wider research as well um, on the sort of the soft side of things. Children who have more help from teaching assistants tend to become more reliant on it. So you you get this learned helplessness effect and there's some real concerns around around that and how that might interact with um, the aims and the objectives that you might find on statements in EHCPs around building pupil independence which everybody wants everyone agrees it's a good thing parents want that um, and then you have this interesting interaction going on which might be negatively affecting that. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because from what you hear, the parents always want that TA time. They want their child to have that, mm. you know, that additional help. But at the same time, that very help might be the one, the thing that undoes another aim of theirs, which is independence. Which is independence, yeah. And uh, we've spoken in the past about how that research has been interpreted over the years and mm. continues to be interpreted, and additional studies, in fact, as t the TAs don't work. Yeah. Whereas actually, <laughs> what you were saying is, the role the TAs are given. The, you know, you're not making a comment on yeah. the role of TA. You're, yeah. you're you're making a comment on the way they were used. Yeah. Has that been, you know, for you personally, for the role of TA, has that misinterpretation been damaging? Do you think? Has it allowed things to happen that perhaps you'd rather hadn't happened? Or you know, <laughs> how has that process been? I think, I think we were we were we were very careful when the, this study came out that we knew what. We knew what we had and we knew how it could be interpreted. And so we wanted to be really, really clear in, the, in our messaging that um, uh, TAs weren't and aren't to blame. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not the problem here. In a sense, they're being caught in the, the crossfire. It's very clear, it's very clear to us that we, um, on the basis of all the other research that went, went into the DISC project, 
lots of time spent in classrooms doing observations, um, lots of case study work, and you know, I was spending sort of four days at a time at school, you know, really trying to understand what was going on mm. in the classroom and across the school. Uh, and we built a very um, strong and I think conceptually sound picture about what is going on. And it's not the fault of the teaching assistants, it's entirely about the decisions that are made about how they are used across mm. the school by school leadership and also within the classroom as well. So you can use this resource in in a way that will um, end up with the kind of outcomes we found in the in the DIS study, but our strong sense is that you can use that resource differently and um, you know, hopefully end up with something that's a bit more positive, you know, and actually supporting um, supporting learning, supporting independence in in the right way. So it was, um, you know, there was a few um, headlines and a few reactions that you know the, the research is, is the research says that TAs are are useless or mm -hmm. something, and we were, um, and this comes up, you know, every so often, yeah. and I get sort of challenged with this. You know, your research said that TAs are useless and we should get rid of them. Never ever said that, have never said that, um, never get tired of saying that we didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's, it's, and it's, it really matters as well, because um, if people run away with that idea that teaching assistants are somehow the problem, and that idea gets some political traction, as it seemed to a few years ago, um, then the implications are really quite serious mm. because if the idea is, particularly in the context that we're in, schools looking for savings, budgets and, and, and what have you, if the direction that they choose to go down is, okay, well the, the, the teaching assistants, the researchers are not showing any impact, let's believe that and, um, and, and, and get rid of them and either spend the money on something else or, or, or call that a saving. Um, and TAs are, are occupying a very interesting space in the in the sort of educational landscape at the moment within school. In that the evidence, some of the evidence, would our evidence from our research would suggest that they're not having an impact, and therefore that you know maybe you could spend the, the money better. There is another um, body of research which we don't talk enough about, and that is uh, what happens when you have teaching assistants delivering structured intervention programs, usually the kind of things that you know, arrive off the shelf, you buy them in, mm. um, schools use them all, all the time and have several running at any one point and teaching assistants will be trained to deliver them and, and they will deliver them. And, uh, and the outcomes there, the general um, as a message from that research is profoundly positive. Mm. And you only have to, to look at the seven or so studies that the the Education Dam Foundation uh, funded in the last five or six years to see that writ large. You know, they have they funded seven trials of um, sort of phonics interventions, uh, literacy interventions, um, and a, each one of them is showing positive effects of anywhere between two and four months. Mm. Uh, and this is quite unheralded. You don't really see research like this kind of line up quite so consistently and it leaves us with a very clear view that this is a, a really good example of what, what we talk about when, we, when we, we speak to schools about how best to use teaching assistants is you should be using them to supplement the teaching 
and not replace teachers. And this is probably, research-wise, the best example we have of that, that we should be using TAs to deliver structured intervention programmes to supplement what's going on in the classroom. Children are making progress in relation to their reading and so on. And then you sort of go and capitalise on that in terms of the, you know, the wider learning at end-of-year test scores. And Could that and be the for the, um, <coughs> the sort of high attainers as well as the low attainers? Um, yeah, I mean, there's no reason what, uh, why not that, that principle, perhaps, because what that, what that can do is then free up the teacher to perhaps be working with the children who are struggling most, not, maybe not in an intervention, just mm -hmm. in the, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, as long as TAs are, are well-trained, they are well supported, they are given the resources to do the job, they're given the time to do the job, the, um, the, the interventions happen um, at, the, at, the right, at the right time of, sorry, the timetabling you know, is, is, is secure. Mm. And you know, what we do find is that um, in schools, TAs might be on their way to do their intervention session with you know, a, a small group of kids in, in year four and then uh, they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time and the deputy head says we've got sickness today you're going to have to go into year two and look after them for a couple of hours until you know until someone else can be freed up so there um and uh and that's another example of what of the the um some of the problems that tas are solving in in schools presently but on the on the flip side these children who are expecting their intervention don't get it and actually when it doesn't happen consistently um, the impact is affected. You know, you're, not, you're unlikely to see the the um, uh, the progress if the if the, if the program itself is kind of delivered intermittently. So there's a whole kind of things you need active ingredients if you like that you need to get right. And when you do that, we see kids making progress. Sounds like TAs are one probably not uh, not have don't have a universal training system across education that is effective. Mm that two they're performing lots of what we might call shadow functions mm. in schools where which is enabling well limiting perhaps their impact i mean i don't know how many listeners would have the, a ta cover their ppa time or mm. you know have a ta step in for illness or you know that they're they're performing these roles that are relatively unacknowledged and then the third factor perhaps is is there a remuneration for those tas that that allows them to perform that role and if so what is the selection process around mm. TAs? I mean, are we just converting parent volunteers to TA still, or, or have we professionalised it in some way? I, th I think, I think that has that sort of standard, if you like, has has risen. Mm. I think um, we come across schools who um, it's a graduate only uh, um, job now. Mm. You know, so uh, they're 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 fortunate to perhaps live in a in a community, serve a community where. Um, when they advertise for a TA role, they're, um, they've got uh, enough people applying who've got who've got degrees, and you know, they they can set that as a, a requirement. There are other schools where that's less the case. Mm. Um, so, and every school kind of responds in the, in the best way that, that they can. So, there's no there's no standard there's no standard entry. There have over has over time been a few attempts, I think, to to try to standardise that so all TAs should have or be working to an MVQ level three I think mm. was something that was suggested um, in the wake of the DISC project and also in the sort of dying days of the Labour administration so that never really, that never really took off, took off. 
Um, but I mean, there's you know, there's something to be said for sort of having some kind of sta- uh, having have some kind of um, training because because that's very very patchy. You know, TAs don't um, perhaps don't consistently get CPD. They perhaps don't get induction. Local authorities used to have induction programs, quite a few of them, but you can imagine what's happened to most of those over is over that, time. Is that an attitude? Problem, uh, you know, is that um, they're still seen as almost parent volunteers? Is it a finance issue where they're going, can barely provide CPD for my teachers, mm. TAs are going to have to live without it, or is there something else going on? Or a combination, combination of the first two, I guess. I'm sure, I'm sure. Presently, the, the financing plays an issue, but then where, you know, in, in going back some years when when money wasn't so much of a of an issue, we didn't have it there either. So what was the what was the thinking behind that? You know, would they just come in and and learn on the job? Was yeah. it maybe 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 there was something a, a, a sense that hey, this is a, a job you can learn on the job? How hard can it be to to um, look after kids who are struggling with the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the basics? But actually, of course, you know, the you don't you need to think about that for a few seconds longer to realise that that's, just, that's that's quite challenging, isn't it? To yeah. be working with children who are who are you know, struggling with with it, it, the basic concepts? Like, you know, these are instructional challenges. These are pedagogic issues here that um, some teachers would struggle with. And we're asking these people to come in cold off the street, who maybe don't have uh, a graduate um, qualification, certainly don't have any teaching experience. Mm. And yeah, we're asking them to do this this work. It's you know you can you can then start to see why we found what we found in the disc project. Mm. And I, I don't know if you find the same thing, but when I go into schools, I find that the classroom teachers completely understand the value of the TA, and they completely understand. Almost, they they've sort of organically grown a, their own training system, and you get mm. quite unique roles for TAs. You know, you go to one classroom, they're used in a completely different way to the next. Mm. My feeling is that as you go up the leadership structure, perhaps the understanding of the role of the TA gets less, or perhaps the financial reality hits, I don't know which one it is. Yeah, well, it's possibly both, but yeah. I mean, it, that that's, talks to an interesting point, I think, that um, when we when we work with schools in our, in our programmes and our projects, um, we very purposefully um, direct the, the, the first sort of phase of it um, at school leaders mm. and head teachers, because we know that they're they're the ones who've got the hands on the levers to make the, the the most substantial changes. And one of the policy black holes that I think we've had um, from the very off was that we've never really decided what we want teaching assistants to do, yeah. and we've not really decided what we don't want them to do. And we've said instead to schools, you work it out. Um, and use the autonomy card as a. You know, we have the freedom to decide. You know, that's your so resource. You it's know. your resource. You yeah. do as it with you wish. So, what's going to happen? You're going to have very variable practices, even within the same school, let alone across schools. So there's no standard way um, of of behaving or using TA. So in some schools, hey, it's fine that they can take cover for a whole day. In other schools, no, you know, it's, that's, we don't feel, think that's appropriate. We have a, mm. you know, we, we get supply in. Um, and there's another, there's another um, concept, I think, that we haven't fully dealt with as well, where we think there is 
space for individual schools to work out. And that is this whole notion of support. So you talk to teachers, head teachers, SENCOs, TAs, um, about what TAs do, and they'll tell you that they support pupils with statements and plans. They support the lower returns, they support the teacher, the teaching, the curriculum, they support the learning. Um, but those conceptualizations of what support are get quite fuzzy. Yeah. You know, what does it what does it look like? How do I know really good support from um, support that is well meaning but is leading to that learned helplessness? You know, it's, mm. I want the, I want the child to experience success, so I'll tell them the answer. And, and it becomes childminding rather than uh, teaching. In yeah, in effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, at its worst, you mm. know, you have a, you know, we we, we talk about some of the. Um, uh, the, the less effective practices that go on in classrooms like, for example, stereo teaching, which is where the, the teacher will be doing, doing their whole class delivery and the teaching that isn't very well-meaning will be sort of, uh, repeating what the teacher is saying to, the, to one or two kids at the side of the classroom mm. um, and it's, a, it's like a satellite delay effect that's going yeah. on in the classroom and yeah, that might be off-putting for the teacher but you know, you bring it back to the child and say, well, why, what's their experience of this? That it's toggling between two adult voices. That could be quite difficult. Um, and so it comes from a well-meaning place, and there's no, there's no criticism of, of TAC, but if we haven't, as a school or as a system, pinned down what we think makes for good, effective support and what are the things we ought to be avoiding and why we ought to be avoiding those things, um, we'll always kind of get this, this patchy practice and we also get a drift towards back to doing what looks most helpful mm. and in the minds of some teaching assistants that is to work towards getting the task done or getting the work complete or the work complete correctly mm. so, so again it comes from a well-meaning place but the aggregate of that over the you know, over the, the school career of a, of a child is there's always somebody who's there who will who'll do it for me, or if I leave it long enough, that it will get done. And so, or is do, it, or do it badly? Or do <laughs> you know, like the washing up, for example? You know, yeah. you never get asked to do the same job once. You know, yeah, yeah, the dark arts of the classroom. You know, yeah. I can I can find a way to get this done. And do, but your research over time, the stuff you've done for us on tears, the stuff you do for your projects and your you know your outreach work you have a pretty robust set of research-informed guidelines there for how to mm. use TAs effectively. Mm. And I presume that, you know, that a lot of schools buy into that and, and use it well. I know they do because we've had teachers talk about it and had teachers write about it. But obviously that's not cutting through to every school. And mm. so do we need some sort of national government strategy here that, that's a little bit more robust and perhaps just even if it just took your guidelines and said, you know, do this, do this, you <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, is that sort of prescription how it should be? Would mm. that have to, then, you know, is that just a simple stick and plaster and you'd have to follow up with extensive training because the amount of knowledge to implement those guidelines mm. perhaps isn't in that school? I, I wonder about that. Um, I wonder why, I wonder whether... The, the, the reasons why that hasn't happened, why we haven't had a national policy, might be echoed in what we saw a couple of years ago with the teach, uh, professional standards for, for teaching assistants, which were commissioned by the, the, the DfE, mm. an expert group pulled together. They put together these standards, very sensible, very um, uh, sort of rooted in the evidence, 
very useful, I thought, for schools. And then when then it sort of they disappeared under the radar, yeah. <laughs> and then they, they 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 reappeared. They were leaked, um, and the, the DfE didn't really sort of take any ownership of them. And then and uh, Nick Gibbs' response in a, in a sort of parliamentary written answer was. Uh, we don't think we need to tell schools what to do. We think they, they're, they're um, able to decide that for themselves. So we're back to the autonomy thing. Mm. And actually, you look at the professional standards and you think, what is controversial about this? This is this is very helpful for schools. Who it's very helpful for head teachers who are looking for something, and they were never uh, mandatory. They were never statutory. So they're there. They're guidance only. So why not have them? Why not? Why not use that as a way of um, raising the esteem of of the, of the TA profession? Saying we have some professional standards, some professional standards. Not, you know, that's 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 a word that's you know, really carries some heft. Um, why not sort of build something around that, or at the very least, just sort of um, have had the DfE sort of endorse them, perhaps? Um, so it's a bit a bit curious. I I, I wonder whether. The reasons not to were perhaps tied up with what are the implications of then going ahead with something like this. Do we? Is there then an expectation that we have to ensure there is training and how we're going to pay for that? And is there an expectation, or will there be an expectation from TAs that, well, maybe I could be paid more? You know, maybe maybe our wages should go up, and in which case, where does the money for that come from? So I I don't know. I don't have any privileged information on this, but if I was you know, going to sort of come to a, a a view about why why they might have taken the decision. It might have been bound up in the, the implications of that. There is um on that same theme, isn't there? There is a argument that without TAs, the retention and recruitment crisis in teaching would look a hell of a lot worse because of what you said. You know, those sticking mm. plaster, those TAs going moving yeah. around covering sickness. Yeah, they they they're sort of. Shielding that, and I guess professionalising them with the cost would go up, and it would be almost a tacit acknowledgement that you, a school had to have yeah. TAs. Yeah, yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, or they couldn't do without them. Mm. In which case, the challenge is our budgets are that are that tight. What you know? What what, it, what do we do? Do we get rid of teachers then? In that case, yeah. or you know, what do we do? I mean the. I mean, what what you described earlier is the sort of sh- a sort of shadow, the shadow roles, shadow yeah. roles. I mean, it's re- I mean, we need to talk about that because um, if we, I mean, there are already signs of this. But if we said I mean, it's half term now, if we said um, on Monday when you go back to school, there won't be any teaching assistants. In fact, there won't be any now until uh, the end of the year. In fact, you may never see them again. Uh, I doubt very much we'll make it much past the end of the week no <laughs> you know, it, it will be it, you will really see the value because if they're not there all of these functions all of these things that you know, the TAs are like the mortar in the brickwork mm. you know of, of schools at the moment you start chipping that out there really isn't it's really not clear what we're going to have in place instead so um, which is why it, it concerns me when you sort of hear these sort of political messages about oh we just need to get rid of them because you know as I say, I, d- I think we would we would really struggle. And actually, there were signs of that last year when there was um, strike action, and TAs went on strike in uh, was it Derby and, uh, D- and Durham, Durham yeah. as well. And in one of those places, and I can't remember which, um, 
schools were sending out letters uh, saying we're going to close. We're actually going to close the school for this day because they're on strike. And in some other cases, and this is this is um, possibly even more troubling, is that um, schools were remaining open, but children with statements and EHCPs were told to stay at home. Mm. So it tells you something about the you know, what will happen if they're if they're not there for one day. Um, some, if not all, children have to stay. You know, staying at home, so it's not as yeah. if the special uh, school sector or alternative provision sector can pick up those kids because that is completely full as it is. Not mm -hmm. only is it counter to the inclusion process that you know parents have a right mm. to access, but if if schools are saying stay at home to those children, there's no one to pick. There's no one to pick those children. Where they're going to go? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And um, I mean that's why it's important. I think we start thinking and talking about this because what we're what we're seeing or what we were potentially about to see could make the situation a whole lot more challenging. Um, so special schools are a good, good example. The, the DfE's projection on the number of children coming into the system is um, over the next sort of eight years, I think, um, is that those numbers are going to go up. You know, we're going to see a, a bigger sort of bulge in secondary. There's going to be a, a smaller but still uh, noticeable bulge in primary. But in special schools, it's going to be it's going to look like something like 14% of the mm. current cohort. Um, and we are going to expect somewhere in the order of about 20,000 children coming into the system over the next eight years who will have needs that are complex enough to warrant having an EHCP. Mm. Um, so we would need to, if we were relying on the special school sector only, we would have to replace the 200 special schools we have shut in the last 20 years to accommodate those 20,000 kids. Okay. So, we are, we, so there is a capacity problem here, very, very, yeah, very potentially. So I think we have to look at the the mainstream sector and how we're going to up our game on inclusive practice because where are those children going to go mm. and and they'll 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 also be a group of children who's will have SEN but they won't be you know they fall short of having mm. um uh, or sort of being eligible for for an EHCP so that's that SEN population is going to grow um and we can't <laughs> we haven't quite worked out where we're going to where we're going we to put them and we're going oh, we haven't got a solution yeah yeah, and and we pick up on your point about the teachers. We're going to need teachers as well. Yeah, you know we're going to need uh, you know six and a half thousand staff in in the special schools alone if we're going to accommodate that sort of number. I guess my <laughs> final question is like, at the moment the the TA role is such a spectrum from what you said and from the research. Mm. Is the answer to is the answer if if the guidelines aren't going to come from government if if schools can't really, um, well, the evidence suggests that schools aren't really deciding this for themselves in a way that is effective on the whole. Mm. Does there need to be more prescription in the roles that are in a school? Do we need to make more clearly define what a TA is? Do we need to define, you know, a TA that is a general, all-purpose, shadow job mm. <laughs> role mm. in a school, one that uh, um, deals exclusively for SEN children, is that role at the moment that is filling m multiple roles? Do we need to start breaking that up and saying, actually, 
these are the different mm. roles we actually require in school. Start from the other way around, not here's a person, what can we get them what, to what do? What can we get them to do, yeah. But what roles are needed in school? What yeah. are we missing? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the starting place, isn't it? It's, it's what are the needs of our school community mm. um, and how do we use this part of our workforce to do that? Um, it's not about um, how do we, if you've got 20 TAs in a, in a school, how do we sort of keep them happy? Yeah. You know, these, these are challenging conversations, actually. It's got to start from the, from the, from the pupils. Um, so if we, if we sort of, if, if, if that's our starting point, then we might look at some of the, the, the challenges that we, that we have. So the one example might be um, the, the lesson cover thing. You know, TA is getting sort of pulled off the, off the corridor to, to cover lessons, and that has a knock-on effect for other things that they might have been, been doing. And they're conflicted because, well, they can't say no, so they, they, go, they go and do it. So is there a case in a school, for example, for having one or two TAs whose job it is to do lesson cover. So mm. we've had cover supervisors for a little while in secondary school, and that job didn't really fit the primary model, but maybe now maybe you know, it, there is a case for having mm. a look at that. So with a cover lesson, the inconvenience is built in. You're expected to be yeah, <laughs> disrupted. Yeah. So, um, so you have one or two who can cover that, and that means that the the, the TAs whose job it is to do intervention programmes can crack on and, and do that uninterrupted. And maybe you have, rather than lots of TAs doing lots of different interventions, you have an, you know, an elite squad of two or three TAs who they do the interventions, they're the experts. And they get better at it, they can build their ex expertise in that as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and again, they're guaranteed to happen when they're supposed to happen because that's what they're doing. And then we look back inside the classroom... Um, yeah, there may be some uh, call for a, um, a, a more sort of administrative role. So way back we had the 25 or something tasks that teachers no longer had to do and other support staff were doing it. And we had quite an array of different people doing uh, these support functions. Mm -hmm. Now as those roles have dropped away, it's falling back to the, the, the TAs to do it. But maybe there is something, maybe from the teacher workload point of view, from the teacher's well-being point of view, having somebody who can um, do some of the admins is just, is just going to be really useful for, for the teachers. And you've got the TA who's perhaps happy to do that. And then you've got the classroom um, group. And you know, we really need to kind of think very hard about how we're using the, that resource in the classroom and how the teachers are doing which is using those individuals to supplement and not replace. You know, how am I going to deliver my teaching to the 30 children in this classroom um, and how's the TA going to assist me to do that? It's, not, it's, it's a different way of looking at it than saying, I'm going to do these 25, you do those five. Mm. Um, you know, here's the lesson plan. You know, good luck, tell me when it's you know, tell yeah. me at the end of the lesson how well it went. <coughs> but it's a lot more strategic than that. You know, and and the, the teachers are thinking about where they need to be, how they put the TA in relation to where, where they are. You, know, you, you um, walk around the classroom just to make sure everybody is on task for five minutes. Well, I work with these two or three kids who, were, who would clearly need a little bit of additional input. In a sense, isn't it? If, if a teacher is going to earn that much more money than a TA, it is the, TA's, uh, the teacher's job to direct the learning of all in that mm. class, to almost script what the TA is doing. If the TA is going to be a, a role that is, you know, equivalent to mm. teacher, then the, the pay disparity just doesn't make any 
moral or economic but, sense, really. Well, there's a, there's a responsibility and accountability issue here as well. If you're if you're a teacher, you're responsible for the outcomes um, and the learning of all the children in your class. Mm. All the children in your class. So if you are sending some of them out, you are getting more disconnected from their learning. They're doing intervention programs, and you don't know how well they're doing it. Doing it. You're not capitalising on the learning mm. um, that could sort of kick them on in in, in their in their, their wider targets for reading and what have you. Um, it's not it's not appropriate to. Um, to, I see this from time to time when TAs have targets to get you know, a child from, you know, well, let me just use kind of the, the sub levels example, yeah. you know, get from sub level, you know, to get from C to B, or you know, they they have these these the, these targets, and that's not appropriate. You know, that they don't have they're not responsible, they don't have full control yeah. over the variables that are needed to do that. So it's not it's not proper. That's the teacher's responsibility, and you know, it needs to re- remain. With them, and maybe maybe there are other ways in which we can look at um, accountability for TAs because they, from from what we know, they they rise to that. You know, but it's got to be appropriate. Yeah, and I guess the final question, then another final question, is: Are you hopeful that everything we've discussed today will begin to be addressed, or is your fear that in the next sort of five years we'll be having a similar conversation? <laughs> um, well, I suppose we've. We've come, we've come quite a long way. I mean, we, there was a, a story that the research revealed that we didn't know. We, so we, didn't, we didn't know that, we, that all of what we had worked towards, what organically happened, was causing this. So we're now in a position where it's, um, until other research comes along and perhaps challenges that, we, we're, we can't pretend, <laughs> we can't ignore it. Mm. We have to sort of, it's incumbent on us to do something about it. We've been working with the EEF for a couple of years on on this particular issue because they've had they themselves have had um, inquiries from the sector about looking at the teaching and learning toolkit and what's this about teaching assistance being high cost, low impact, and so we were quite fortunate, um, I think, to um, have authored the first guidance report so the EF have done s- several of these now and the first one they did was on on TAs and we've got it was a real chance to um, build on what we had already done with our practical work and um, guidance work to put something together along with what the EF have done drawing on the wider research and saying here it is here's here's what we think you need to do what you need to be looking at um, that in itself uh, was a journey with another stage where we were looking um, responding to the sector's needs about, um, well, you've told us what to do, but how do we do it? Mm. So we went on another little journey about, well, how, what's needed to implement all of this? And that seems to have been quite successful so far. You know, it's taken off quite well. The EF funded a campaign in North and, uh, where was it, South and West Yorkshire. Um, a, a cluster of schools, a huge cluster of schools across Lincolnshire, we're doing a project last year called Mobilize that was um, sort of based at the Cairo Teaching School, and they've done phenomenal work. It's just incredible what you can get schools to do when you put the evidence and the tools in their hands. So you're optimistic. I I think, I think yeah I think it's it, it's it's achievable. It's there, and I don't actually think we need a policy to do. It. I think something like that could help. It always gives schools the steer. Um, on what to do and where to go and 
gives them some sort of anchorage of you know, what to do. But um, but it's sh been shown already that schools can can do it. And the project we're running at the moment, we've got a, we've 120 schools in our trial, and that's an RCT. So half of them are working on uh, what we've been doing. We're halfway into that project now, and the the levels of engagement that we've had are, are great. And the, the, the sort of anecdotally, if you like, what we're hearing from schools is that it's really making them think and they're engaging with it at a really deep level and at a strategic level and we're optimistic that this can change practices and then in turn um, you know, show some good outcomes for the, for the, for the children. We we'll look forward to hearing the results. Thank you very much, Rob, for today. No problem. <laughs>